Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, are we wielding technology or yielding to it? So this is going to be more of a conversational episode as the topic is rather abstract, but uh, we're just going to run with it and see where it goes. So let's start with a, a rough definition of what we're talking about. So yeah, what are you talking about, John? Right. So wielding uh, would be the notion, you know, you're in charge of the technology. The technology is just a tool. Uh, it's something separate from you that you utilize, uh, and it's subservient to you. Whereas sort of the state of, of yielding to a technology would be the technology is in some senses in charge or even possibly a part of you, right? You, maybe you've merged with it and in some senses you're dependent on it. And I totally accept that this is a somewhat fuzzy distinction. Um, they're not clearly distinct categories. But I, the reason I started thinking about this is that there does seem to be an experiential difference for people as far as one type of situation versus another and I think it's all wrapped up with, with the question that I find interesting, which is culturally, when do people start becoming uncomfortable with technology? And sort of the thesis I'm going into this with is that they, right. when it crosses that line from being something that they're wielding and feel in charge of to something that they're almost yielding to. And, for, and feel uh, uh, dominated by. Exactly. Yeah. So this is really like a very much a subjective experience question. Yes, I mean, uh, that line is going to be different right, for people. Right, and I think it's, it's very much how you uh, view a situation rather than how the situation in some objective sense is. Yes, definitely. Uh, whether you feel like you're wielding the technology or feel like you're yielding to it is just like sort of a poetic way of saying, is it in control or are you in control? Correct. Yeah, that's and interesting. So we're going to start small okay. uh, and we're going to go bigger, right? So we're going to start with the issue of just form factor. Right. What is okay. about the form factor of a technology that might make it more uh, in the wielding category or in the yielding category? And it's like, a st so you have some idea what I'm talking about. Sure, sure. Uh, like a really uh, easy example might be compare like a hand drill to eyeglasses, right? So we're talking about today technology. We're not even, you know, going into the future. But I think if you look at the drill... Okay. Um, you know, you're controlling the drill, you turn it on and off, you use it for a specific situation, um, it does some work for you, whereas, you know, eyeglasses, almost, they're on your face, they're a lot closer to you, they are more of a part of you, you're more dependent on them. Yeah, and what they do is more transparent, it's more, uh, you know, it's happening all the time, it's not just when you need a hole in something. Exactly, mm -hmm. and so, uh, to make this a little more specific, we'll kind of go down what I think are some of the specific sort of axes um, that might define whether a form factor is more on the wielding side or the yielding side. So first of all, literally proximity to your body, I'd say, especially to your brain. So like, sure. So, so you like actually, something you hold in your hand, for example, versus something yes. you wear on your body. Yes. So the drill is like out extended from you. Right. Even when you say wielding, I mean, it brings to mind a, a hand holding a tool or a sword or something. Exactly. Right. Whereas the, the glasses are literally on your face. Right. Again, closer to you, but closer to your brain as well, which I think is going to be, if you want to talk about the further future, a more important Right, uh, right. As things get closer to your face and then to your brain, like, because your face holds your sensory equipment right. and then your brain is even, more, yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, so right. Prox proximity is an important axis. Sure. Um, another one that you alluded to a second ago is... Um, the notion of an on and off switch or mode uh, versus is sort of always on. Uh, right. 
uh, situation. So with the drill, you, there's literally a button on it. You turn it on, it's on. You turn it off, it's off. Right. Uh, the glasses are, in a sense, always on, um, even your regular everyday sure. eyeglasses. Sure. Um, and again, I mean, all these distinctions that we're talking about, I'm using old technology on purpose, but would say apply to the very near future if you're, say, choosing between... Uh, you know, a phone form factor for right. your pocket computer device versus a glasses. There's a glasses factor. one, right? That's the immediate example that comes to mind: is yeah. a smartphone versus smart glasses. Everybody's been talking about recently whether the smart glasses are going to compete with the phones. You know, I think they will eventually. They obviously aren't now, but they do have this different quality to them. Where, yeah, you hold the phone in your hand, and that crucially means you can put it away. But if the the glasses are strapped to your face, it's so, so much more convenient to just leave them on. Right. And I think that example is what got me first thinking about this because right. I think there's a tendency among, um, you know, technology loving people to kind of put all technology in the same box and say they look at, you know, some of the nascent resistance to say Google Glass as sort of sure. a, a artifact that will just be swept under the rug as these pe- people inevitably realize how useful this stuff is. Well, it's very similar to the resistance there was to the big brick car phones in the 80s. You know, people thought they were silly and only people who absolutely needed them bought them. And then when they got, when the technology got better, more people found they had a use for it. Right. And I'm sympathetic to the point of view that eventually most people will get on board. But I'm also sympathetic to the idea that maybe there we are pushing into territory that is in some subjective way actually different. Well, that's interesting to think about. I mean, I'm not sure that I agree with you, actually, but I think that that's, that's an interesting proposition. So, yeah. So, let me finish with the criteria, and then okay. you can see if you agree or not. So, so, proximity would be one of the issues. On-off mode versus always-on would be another one. Mm-hmm. Um, opacity versus transparency. So, there's a sense in which you're when you're wielding a technology, you can see it. It's very obvious when you're using it versus when you're not using it, whereas the you know, glasses are literally transparent. I mean, like, sure. you don't, I forget I'm wearing them. Right. And uh, I think that could, again, apply to other technologies in the future, things that may eventually even go inside your brain, say. Mm-hmm. I'd say that those are the, actually the major ones. I think smartphones versus augmented reality glasses makes this a bit clearer, but I think you can maybe make this even clearer if we really push this out to the actual total logical extreme, right? right. Which I would say that the total logical extreme of the wielding uh, would be an AI assistant that's separate from you, a separate entity, but it does exactly what you tell it. You know, it goes out in the world and it does things for you. And right. it's completely, it's basically a slave to you. Right, a software slave, you know, that can re- react to your every need with actions out in the world. Right, whereas the logical extreme of sort of yielding would be literally this, you know, sort of, intelligence augmentation technology where say you actually put you know nanobots in your bloodstream and they cross the blood brain barrier and they're like literally inside your brain um becoming a part of you you're merging with the technology once it's in there you know it's like a transparent always on part of your living day-to-day experience where you're nothing more than like a uh, a sort of a small part of this larger technological thing. Right. Yeah. So so that would be my case for these actually be this being a relevant distinction is the fact that I can take two very and that it's not just these all these issues will vanish in the future because you can take extrapolate in two very different directions, two different types of speculative technologies. Right. And those things don't converge. Right. I mean yeah. not, not yeah. that they would necessarily be fighting, but you could this would be a fair fight, possibly. Between, but a fair fight or just they wouldn't need each other to survive. So they one could win, basically. Potentially. Right. Or like, yeah, one might be the dominant form right. factor that people choose. So, you know, that's why I wonder when 
when people are uh, skeptical of Google Glass, maybe it really won't be for everybody. Maybe that'll be a place where certain people draw the line, whereas it doesn't seem like that's the case with smartphones, where it seems like, yes, okay, some people draw the line with smartphones, but not many. Right. That seems to be more of a thing of uh, cultural acclimation than of uh, inherent human desire. I mean, a, a smartphone still does feel very much like something you use at your discretion, I think. So some people, I think, do feel, you know, too sucked in by it. It's too compelling. They don't want to look away or something. But mostly it seems like people feel in control of their phones. Right. And it, it, again, I think the best an analogy for what it is, is it's like a Swiss army knife. It's like a pocket thing that you literally wield, you know, like, and, right. and well, you know, another thing about this is that uh, it's a challenge for designers of things, right? Because um, this is a spectrum and it's a lot about how the user feels. So if the user feels like they're in control, then you can get around some of the problems maybe of them feeling like they're yielding to the technology, despite maybe it being always on and having some of these features. I mean, smartphones themselves actually do this to some extent because they have like off switches, except those off switches just sleep the display. They don't turn the machine off. The machine is always tracking you. It's always getting in touch right. with the network. Even when it's powered down, it's doing certain basic things that drain the battery. So, you know, even power down on those machines just means you power down the main computer. It doesn't mean you power down all the circuitry. The charging circuitry is still running, for example. This, right? Yeah. So, I mean, to a certain extent, this is like a device design problem where like the Google Glass manufacturers maybe need to have a big, obvious display in the Google Glass that says like, Google Glass is on. That makes it obvious when you're using the device. And maybe people would like that better than having it on all the time and feeling like maybe it's on, maybe it's not, I don't really know. Uh, that's just one example, no, but I, I feel like, uh, yeah. you know, there could be ways of designing a product that uh, get away from its intrinsic way of working and make it feel more like a way that people like. Well, here's where yeah. my mind is going with that now, okay. taking that a step further, because sure. if you're, you're talking about interface design, right. the analogy I would make is the classic example of you want your boss to do something, but he'll only do it right. if he thinks it was his own idea. Yes. <laughs> so I could imagine future interfaces that know what you want before you want it, but it creeps you out too much if they and they seem too out of your control and dominating if they just sort of tell you what you want before you want it. So they like decided to sort of guide you there and make you feel like, oh, I came up with that myself. I feel like Google now is doing this to me already. Yeah. We're like, it will it will show me some, an ad for something and it'll go, you search for this artist or like <laughs> it'll tell me it'll tell me in like this kind of creepy matter of fact tone, like what it knows about me that that makes it pretty confident I want to see this crap that it's showing me right and, and, and whenever it does that i'm like man that's weird you know it's like it does give me a little bit of the creeps but uh but then i click on it because they're right you know, right do? and i guess a lot of this whole conversation is about defining the creepy line and and yeah. there's there's many ways to define it and obviously people talk a lot about things like privacy but i think this is another one of those lines it's it's the sense of autonomy and independence that we have and when that gets threatened that i think invokes its own kind of creepy response Right. From people. Yeah, this relates to me too to that like Piketty book where he talks a lot about people having, you know, a sense of there being meritocracy. And we talked about, you know, how much of that is just a sense. Maybe we should just be faking it. <laughs> but he seems to think it has to be real. It's sort of the same thing. I'm not sure that people need a lot of actual control. I'm not sure they have a lot of actual control in the real world. But feeling like they have it is clearly important. And that's interesting. 
Well, there's a, yeah, and, and actually that's a skill that people vary on, but are generally not good at is like knowing when they're in control of something. Like there's, right. there's some test, I don't uh, right, right. recall the name of it, where like people see numbers and like they, they have to assess when they're controlling the numbers versus when the numbers are changing randomly. And people, many people are very bad at this. Right. They over, they're overconfident that they're able to affect things, right? Right. Yeah. No, I've seen that study too. I forget the name of it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, that, uh, that makes sense. That seems like just anecdotally how life works, that people are more likely to see a pattern where there is none. You know, I saw an article recently that said blowing on NES cartridges doesn't make them work, you know? Sure. Um, that's just something that a generation of people did because sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't work and you interpreted the random data. It's, as a, rain, it's a modern day rain dance, basically. Exactly. It was yeah. a rain dance. Yeah. It, it couldn't hurt. Um, um, you know, homeopathic remedies. I don't know. The, there's yeah, yeah, whole, yeah. right. There's yeah. like you could go on and on with things that there's not a lot of evidence for, uh, but maybe there's not a lot of evidence against, and people just choose to believe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah. I said I was going to go from small to big. So oh, that's yeah. so, so that's like let's form move, factor. Move on, from which form factor, which very quickly, yeah, like you said, sort of boils down to interface design, right? Right. Um, the next step up from that is is a little bit more abstract, and it's it's more the sort of general sense of of agency, right? But I can't boil this down to like, you know, things like proximity or on and off, right? But this is just, I guess my first starting point is to talk about the phenomenon of sort of forced adoption, which I think is a very real thing that people are uncomfortable with. Anecdotally, it feels like more of that happens. Um, like, I don't know if in your case, I know you joined like Facebook kind of late. I don't know if that felt like a forced adoption to you. Yeah, I mean, I basically ignored Facebook until it became an economic cost that I could calculate. I was like missing out on parties or whatever that I wanted to be at, you know? And right. then I was like, all right, I got to be on this thing. And I joined it late, you know? And it's like, it is what it is. I, I, I didn't necessarily mind doing it, but I could definitely see somebody being resentful of that, you know? Right. And even my first cell phone purchase felt like a forced adoption. I mean, I'm perfectly happy that I have a cell phone now, so it's not something I regret. But I initially made the plunge because I felt essentially forced into it by the sort of the social uh, environment that I was in. Yeah. Like, I, if I don't yeah. have this, I can't literally, you know, be a person doing things in the world, you know? Right, right. Uh, and so, and like every once in a while, one of these new services comes on that you feel you know, obliged to join or not. I mean, I think, and I, Oh yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, several times a year, I feel like I have to try something out that I maybe don't actually want to. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's definitely, I mean, that's very directly taking away people's agency to the technology. And, uh, again, we can always speculate. Maybe this is a phenomenon that's always been going on. I, I feel like there's always been a certain amount of social pressure to adopt technologies, which is good because it's how, important technologies get adopted, but I also think there used to be a lot slower trickle of technologies coming out. Sure. So it was a lot easier to manage. Everybody got a record player, so you got a record player. Everybody got a TV, so you got a TV. Then you were like, chill for 40 years while you waited for the 8-track to come out. You know what I mean? It's like, right. there just wasn't a lot of... But I feel like now, uh, you know, there's a new consumer internet trend every couple of weeks. There's one that reaches to my level of, you know, uh, uh, attention every few months. I feel like you know, depending on how c plugged into this stuff you are, you might feel a lot of social pressure to try out a lot of different things. Another related, couple related issues that take away your agency are the notion of dependence, right? So sure. 
uh, a technology that you grow dependent on. Now, I mean, there are some technologies that are curing a deficit. In that case, like eyeglasses, for example, are actually fixing a problem. So you're dependent on them, but it's hard to blame the technology for that. That's the fault of your eyes being bad, right? Right. I mean, it's a life-saving dependency. Yeah, yeah. It's literally the difference between me being able to drive a car every day and not. Right. So when I say dependence, I mean, you know, and I wouldn't talk about, again, things like like life-saving medication that people take, insulin or whatever. Right. Or I mean, or like the food system, which we're all dependent on. Exactly. Right. I mean, like, you know, dependent in a a softer way to where like maybe the, the need itself was both created and fulfilled by the technology. And the classic, you know, consumer advertising sense got it got it so this is the tamagotchi sense of dependent (laughs) right yeah um and or it's like you know it's 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 created artificially but it's created by your social environment Mm -hmm. you know rather than by a physical need that you have got it right so again that i think you know Facebook's just so a if all my good friends example. are on Facebook, then right. I need to be on Facebook. That sort of thing, right? Or yeah. you're not getting the communications that you would otherwise need right. to have, right? right? So you're dependent on it that way. Um, and then another sort of worse version of dependence, something we've talked about in a previous episode, is when it actually becomes addiction, right? Right, which we sort of defined earlier as being uh, dependence plus consequences, essentially. Yeah, I mean, right. If you can't, if you can't break the dependence in in the face of certain terrible consequences, like you're texting and driving and you hit somebody with your car and you keep doing it, then that becomes addiction. You're continuing to use it even though it's harming you in some fashion. Right. So again, like Facebook wouldn't necessarily fall into that because even though maybe I'm slightly annoyed that I'm sort of forced to be on it or dependent on it for right. event invites, it I don't have very meaningful consequences from it. But if you were somebody who was on it so much they didn't get their work done and then they lost their job and they still were on it so much they couldn't, you know, exactly. then you might then you might consider yourself someone addicted to it. You know, that's a pretty fuzzy definition, as we talked about when we did that podcast. But um, you can definitely see how if people feel... Uh, it's not so much that if they feel they're addicted to it, but like if there's fear in society that you're going to be addicted to it, right? If there's like a lot of don't use this technology, it's addictive kind of messaging, I feel like that's something that's going to make people uncomfortable. And Well, know. and that becomes a consequence in and of itself. Like right, if you feel right. like what you're doing is wrong or, or addictive, whether or not it has actual consequences. Right, right. It becomes like it's a kind of negative branding or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we talked about form factor. We talked about these more sort of abstract issues of agency, like forced adoption, dependence, addiction. And then sort of the last area I wanted to bring up is the more big picture one, right? We're talking about the destiny of of the human race or society at large, right? Um, and so this makes me think of the concept of technological determinism, right? Uh, is our is our destiny being determined by primarily by technology? And you can take that really far, even farther than I think people who originally coined that term meant, which to the point that some people take it, which is that technology maybe almost is like a some sort of organism at this point that's literally beyond our control. Right. Um, or do you, I think some people would violently disagree with that notion and try to, sure. you know, reframe things as, you know, no, we're clearly in the driver's seat. Technology is our tool and we need to shape it how we want it. Sure. Sure. I mean, a lot of, yeah, it seems like a lot of that debate is usually about whether technology, uh, technological capabilities determine outcomes or whether cultural realities determine outcomes. And of course... It's a cycle where both things, yes, you know, uh, it, because uh, culture determines what technologists try to invent, uh, which is a serious limitation on what they do invent. But then also there are some limitations in the universe, which are serious limitations on what they do invent. And then the capabilities they come up with as a result are 
seriously determinant of what then the next generation is. So that's a right. constant loop. And, you know, you have some people saying the cultural side is more important. You know, some people saying the technological side is more important and it's hard to disentangle, which is right. It's hard to separate them. It's very easy to like, say, look at history and, and, you know, boil it all down to this society had this technology, this society had that technology and, and, or that but, works surprisingly well for my knowledge base, but you know, maybe there's lots of things I don't know, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's like nature versus nurture. It's like, you know, obviously it's some fuzzy combination of the two and it's, well, it's, both are inputs right to yeah. each other. So as time goes on, they continue to determine each other. Uh, but I, I personally, I would consider myself a technological ter- determinist, and I would say I put more weight on technological capability than on cultural factors. Although I totally admit that cultural factors are an input to technological capability. But I think, right. you know, at the end of the day, I think physics and the state of math in the world is, you know, more important to technological capability than the particular culture of any country or region. I sure. mean, that's just my opinion, but uh, but uh, it's an ongoing debate uh, that I think is legitimate and interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think of that from the point of view of this yielding, wielding thing of like, uh, if the technology sort of becomes the culture, if you yield completely and th- there ceases to be a difference between technology and culture, you know? Um, yeah. And I think, you know, there's definitely a strain of inevitability in, you know, sort of technology punditry circles um, that's sometimes explicitly stated and sometimes not that, uh, you know, it is a sort of technologically determinist attitude and it feels like, oh, we're on a certain path almost no matter what we do. And I think that's strongly implied, say, by like Ray Kurzweil's right. attitude where he's got, he's literally predicting, uh, you know, wildly complex things in the future using yeah. a simple exponential trend. Well, and he says the only way it doesn't happen is if we destroy ourselves as a species. That's his only... Exactly. D- that's his only out, you know, which I feel like there's there's a lot of uncertainty in between those places. Although I do actually agree with him that we're unlikely to like slide backwards. That doesn't... It feels but, very plausible, but the um, implications of that are it is sort of erasing some of our autonomy, you know, if it if it's something, if you can plot our destiny on an exponential graph, it does right. feel like, you know, we are well, yielding in Well, whenever we find sense. something out that, like, yeah, makes us question if we're really as in charge as we think we are, I, I tend to think that thing's right. <laughs> because I think we overestimate how in charge we are, going back to that study. I think we do that on a societal level. Sure. I think we overestimate our ability to, to plan and change all kinds of things. No, and I think you can actually uh, make the case uh, that technology maybe is, in some cases, sort of an evolving organism that's sort of combined with culture. I mean, even, you know, culture and technology overlap so I much. I think you can also make the argument about culture being an organism, if you want to make that argument. I mean, they have a lot of the same uh, capabilities and, uh, you know, and loopy uh, structure. Uh, right. You know, a self-regenerating uh, structure. But you could certainly argue that at this point it's on a, it's on a course where, you know, it's going to go where it's going to go and, like, for individual people to shape it. Uh, or even for all of us to shape it in the level of coordination that that would require. Like, you know, it's just not that feasible. And that really... Right. That coordination may be possible, but it doesn't seem feasible. And what the data that we have seems to suggest is that uh, if we... It's like technology is like an emergent property of humanity. And if humanity just keeps existing, however it is, it's going to... That technology is going to continue to um, to, to follow this path that it's on. You know, I, I yeah, I tend to think that... Uh, Individual decisions just aren't that important uh, when it comes to technological development. That once the capability is there, somebody's going to figure out how to make it work. 
Um, we have enough people and enough resources in the world that that seems to happen. Right. Like I could imagine a world small enough where that wasn't the case, you know, but I just don't think that world's our world. Um, so unless we somehow killed off lots and lots of folks, <laughs> I think it will continue to see Right, that. but how big do you think is the possibility space for the future? Like, do you think that we're sort of converging on uh, a rather specific point? Or do you think that there's a lot of different possibilities that we have some ability to choose between? Oh, I think there's a lot of different possibilities. And I think um, it very much depends on what capabilities come out when what path will ultimately But are take. we in charge of when those, the order in which those things come out? Well, that's the thing is I, I do agree with cultural determinists that that culture is an input into that process because right, it does, does the determine... Where does funding go? What do people care about? What are technologists trying to do, right? Yeah. Uh, just writ large, what are they trying to do? They're trying to solve a group of problems that have to do with our culture, you know? Um, and that does circumscribe their possibility space to some extent. But at the same time, a lightning bolt breakthrough in any given field, which could happen sort of at any time, could open up new capabilities that culture has nothing to do with. And also, I think there are a lot of other inputs to, you know, I think there are a lot of people involved in, in science and math that are just interested in truth, for no better word. They're just interested in finding out something true that we don't know yet. And that can lead you all kinds of places, you know, I mean, that's much more broad than, that doesn't circumscribe you as much as our cultural values probably do. Sure. So I, I don't know. I, I do think there's a possibility for there to be real wrenches thrown in the works by um, te technological capabilities coming up that we didn't expect. And I think you can find examples of that in human history where like the world took a sharp turn after electricity got figured out or something like that. Right. Um, but uh, or penicillin is maybe a better example because we weren't really looking for a cure to uh, bacterial diseases because we didn't know what bacteria were. Sure. We just accidentally found one and since those diseases were bad we started using it and then later figured out why it worked, you know? So uh, something like that could definitely happen and then you could you know, have a big left turn. But no, I, I, I do think that the, the, the thing we know about the technology is it's going to continue to grow its capabilities. Exactly what those capabilities are and, and what world that puts us in I think is still very much undetermined. Personally, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I agree i suspect that the see it's you can't really quantify any of these things it's so abstract but i think that it feels like there's the potential for technology to become more deterministic and that there could even be some turning point maybe we already hit mm -hmm. it in the industrial revolution maybe mm -hmm. it's in the future when we have uh uh, self-replicating, uh, self-improving AI. Right. Uh, that we hit that point uh, where the technology literally is beyond our control. But well, I, I got to define who you mean by R because it's definitely beyond yours and my control, right? It's Already. beyond individual control. And I think it's probably beyond the control of like individual labs or companies or, or even countries at this point. Uh, and as we talked about, human coordination is unlikely. But I do think the human organism uncoordinated as it is, is still shaping to some extent where the technology is going. Uh, maybe no, not. Th maybe not. It's definitely not slowing it down. It might be shaping its capabilities in some ways. I think, you know, what we put money into uh, sure. and, and is definitely a cultural... Yeah, research priorities are definitely a, a cultural determinant thing. Yeah, I think our deployment of resources. Now, that's, you know, when we start getting closer to something and it starts seeming more feasible we tend to notice that and put more resources into it sure but i think that there are 
some arbitrary expenditures of resources that <laughs> to are, say the least, that are not technologically <laughs> determined, that are much more culturally determined. Right. It's more like we're going to work on this first because we want to blow up our neighbors, or we're going right. to work on this, or because it sounds good first, to because or yeah, yeah, or whatever, right? Or yeah, it gets it gets funding more easily because it sounds sexier or whatever, right? I mean, there's all kinds of bizarre uh, cultural things that if, affect that funding. Sure. Um, but so those anyway, things yeah. have been around and we haven't seen that being, you know, a problem yet. So maybe these more optimistic determinists are right that, um, that that's just, those are just elements of the human organism and that it still manages to sort of make technology and make this stuff work. Now, if you're technologically determinist, uh, and, uh, positive technology, positive, like say mm-hmm. Ray Kurzweil, then everything's great. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, there'll, there'll be problems, of course, and we'll work them out. But, uh, you know, we have to have conversations, of course, and so on and so on. Sure, Things sure. that people like that say. But, uh, you know, by and large, it's going to be good, you know. And however, if you're technologically determinist in your attitude and you're not so positive about where things are going, then I guess you become the Unabomber. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, that's a, sort of a logical way to go. I mean, then you try. Right. To, or if you're not a murderer, uh, but you think these things, you might become somebody like a Bill Joy who wants sure. to, you know, recidive for technology you know um, right i mean i think that's that's the less murdery version uh but yeah i mean similar idea i think this uh you know if you're technologically negative you f- if you feel like maybe more on the yielding side of things when you work when you use technology and at the same time you have this technologically determinist outlook you're going to be likely to turn to like a luddite sort of mindset at some point and i guess everybody will have their own you know, point where they right. cross that Which line. Which is, I think, I guess, to bring this back around to something a little bit more concrete is that, yes, this line is subjective, uh, but on the big picture, if subjectively large numbers of people start to feel that we're crossing this line, you know, if more people start to feel like Ted Kaczynski or more people start to feel like the Amish or people start to feel like Bill Joy or, who you know, or the right. Luddites or name your, you know, person right. or group where they feel like, Whoa! All of a sudden, we're we're yielding too much and not wielding anymore. We're like seating the driver's seat now, and right. this is a, and this is going off a cliff. Um, if you know whether or not we're actually crossing that line, if that's what people feel like, uh, that's going to be uh, a very divisive, contentious future. Well, and that's going to be a situation where culture might reassert some control over. The direction that technology goes and this i'll bring back to what we talked about when we talked about form factor a lot of this i think comes down to design interface design societal design mm-hmm. experience design and if if the people who are actually in charge uh, assuming that there are such people uh, which i realize is an assumption if the people who are actually in charge uh realize that people are becoming uncomfortable and design the world to give them the impression of more agency and um more ability to step away when they want to um, then they can continue, you know, the technological imperative unchecked while uh, while keeping people happy. So I think that you can actually reconcile all of this stuff. Um, sure, and I could see all this boiling and down. And you can just feel like you're wielding yeah. while you're really yielding. And the the runaway train is uh, well on its way to becoming a super god. And it's just a personal interface choice, you know, pseudo-sexual, like, do I want to be dominated by technology? Exactly. Or do I want it to... You know, and do maybe I dominate on it? Sundays <laughs> you want to be dominated and the rest of the time you want to, you know, pull it out of your pocket or something. And it's, you know, everybody will have their own, uh, yeah, preference. And, and there's seems to be no reason why you can't 
accommodate people's preferences in this world. So, so what you're saying is this uh, whole, uh, you know, discomfort that people have will just be subsumed by, you know, it's just another problem technology can solve. Yes. Okay. Basically, whether or not, you know, whether or not you wanted it before it solved the problem, after it solves the problem, you're going to be fine. Basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm sympathetic to that point of view. I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit, but I, you know, like I said, I, I, I do think we are entering territory that is in some ways more challenging to our autonomy than the past. At least that's my, that's my sense. So I, I think I've, I'm not saying technology and good interface design oh, can't yeah. solve these problems, but I think that those problems are coming to the forefront or may come to the forefront even more. Yeah, I agree with that. It does seem that um, some of the technologies that we're adopting right now are giving up too much in apparent um, control, if not uh, actual control, for that to continue as a trend, you know, going forward. I think as as these things get better, they're going to have to get better at giving us the sense that uh, we're in the driver's seat. Um, and that's a funny uh, metaphor, actually, to use. I just said uh, we're in the driver's seat, and of course we're being kicked out of the driver's seat by computers like right now as we speak. Perfect transition. Tune in next episode right. when we... <laughs> all about self-driving cars. So, That's right. Yeah. Ne- next episode we're going to talk about self-driving cars. Uh, so um, tune in next week and we'll uh, see you then. Thanks for listening. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.